0: in Luke's gospel once again. And uh, it's after Christmas. <clears throat> we considered the event when Jesus was 12 years old when he went in, into the temple, his zeal for God's house and how he was gaining momentum and strength at such a young age. And It's been 18 years since we last considered the life of Jesus as Luke records in his second chapter. Our reading is from chapter 3 when Jesus is about 30 years old, so it's been about 18 years. Imagine how strong the Lord became in 18 more years of visiting Jerusalem at least three times a year at Passover. Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and how he no doubt visited the synagogue in Nazareth to study the scriptures, to memorize them, to meditate on them, and he certainly comes powerfully on the scene uh, at the end of this particular chapter, but the Bible promised a forerunner, someone that would precede the coming of the king. And he would be like a runner, uh, a a carpet rolled out before the king. And this was John the Baptist. Remember, we considered the prophecy of his birth and uh, that he would be a burning and shining light. So John is that runner. and We find his appearance, his, his showing, as Luke records it in chapter three. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch, which means having a quarter of the previous Herod the Great's um, kingdom. So uh, Philip was tetrarch of Icurea, which was in the northeast part and of the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, up to the northwest. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the the wilderness, and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for or unto the remission of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, which we read earlier together, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places, or the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. This is a way of making friends. O generation of vipers, O generation of snakes, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father." For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The people asked him saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats or tunics, Let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, food, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans or the tax collectors to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But John also preached to the dignitary. But Herod the tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all that he shut up John in prison. Jesus was 12 when Luke gives us a video clip of his life. Now he's about 30, as Luke will say in verse 23. So it has been 18 years of strengthening before his showing. But the king deserves a red carpet, a red carpet appearance, just as Isaiah prophesied. John, whose name means gracious, is the forerunner to Jesus, whose name means salvation. Isn't that appropriate? God's grace, John, evidences the fact that he sends his salvation, Jesus. As Luke sets Jesus' birth and youth in real history, remember, in the days of Caesar Augustus, it was Caesar that made this decree that all the world should be taxed or registered. Also in the days of Simeon and Anna, real people, real history, Luke sets Jesus' birth. It's not fantasy or fiction. He speaks of real shepherds, real doctors or rabbis that Jesus sat and heard and answered. Now he also sets the appearance of John and Jesus at 30 in their adulthood in the same context of real history. But can you see a smile on Luke's face? Notice the, the, the uh, tremendous um, humiliation of the leaders that Luke gives. Notice, again, real history. In the 15th year of the governing of Tiberius Caesar, so Augustus is gone. Augustus died in 15 AD. He's the one that declared for all the world to be taxed or Register Now, uh, Tiberius Caesar is in rule in Rome. It's about the year 27 or 28. So he's been ruling over 10 years. But in the, in the 15th year of the governing of Tiberius Caesar, also in the governing of Pontius Pilate, who replaced Archelius, because remember, it says these are three tetrarchs which means they had a fourth part of Herod the Great's kingdom. Herod the Great is the one that slew all the infants uh, in Bethlehem and around Bethlehem, as we know from, uh, from uh, Matthew chapter 2. So Herod the Great had his kingdom divided in four ways. Archelaus had Judea. And Remember, Joseph, when he left Egypt, was afraid to go into Judea because of Archelaus. Archelius was a wicked ruler. They deposed him, he was so bad, and Pontius Pilate took his place. The Jews would rather have a a Roman than a a Jewish leader because Archelius was so wicked. So the four parts of the kingdom, Pontius Pilate in Judea, Herod Antipas in Galilee, he's the one that would decapitate John. He would be the one that Jesus would call a fox. Philip was in the northeastern section and Lysanias was in the northwestern section. So notice what Luke's doing in the year of Iberius Caesar, in the year of the four uh, princes or leaders that divided Herod the Great's kingdom. Now he goes into the religious realm from the political realm in the High priesthood, the thing we need to note here is it's singular, not plural. Luke recognizes you can only have one high priest at a time. The Old Testament spoke of having one high priest, not two. So Luke knows very well what's going on here. The high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So he bypasses all these dignitaries, political and religious. In the year of Caesar, in the 15th year of Caesar, in the reign of these four uh, tetrarchs, in 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 the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the Lord's word bypasses them and it reaches John in the desert. You see what he's doing. There's a smile on his face. He's not only showing us it was real history. He's showing that not many mighty are called. God's word bypasses these dignitaries and reaches John in the wilderness. A word of God literally sounded, it was real history. It came to John. and It's interesting, the word came here, word, the word of God came, is a word that really speaks about real history. It came to pass. It occurred. And Luke is the one that uses this word here and in Acts more than anyone else throughout the whole New Testament. Matter of fact, Luke and Acts have the most references of any other book and all the books combined in the New Testament. It it really came to John. God spoke to John. But here's how you might say in 2024, in the days of Joseph Biden being president of the United States, Justin Trudeau being Prime Minister of Canada, Vladimir Putin, the president or leader of Russia, Xi Jinping of China, Francis Pope of Rome, Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury, the word of God came to you and me, bypassing these dignitaries. Not many mightier call. We're glad it doesn't say not many, not any. But this is what Luke is saying here. God's word bypasses all of these dignitaries, all of these uh, wealthy, rich people, and reaches lowly John, born of elderly parents that probably didn't live to see him as a teenager. And so we're happy they didn't get to see, uh, they didn't see John decapitated, probably never married, Do you know the Bible indicates that John's ministry was a whole six months? He was like a comet that just came on the scene and left. No wonder, he said, he fulfilled his conviction. He must increase, but I must decrease. God has given us years as believers for most of us here, hasn't he? John certainly enjoyed being a believer for however many years, around 30 years that he got to live. But there's no indication that he ever had a wife and family. He burned out for Jesus. He was Jesus' forerunner. God's word comes to the lowly. All the leaders would humble their pride. We've, had, we've seen some, some leaders who've come to the Lord, like Queen Elizabeth, Oh, that we her son would be converted to Christ. He's lost. He needs to be born again with the Spirit of God. But not many mighty, not many noble, not many elite were told in 1 Corinthians. So in preparation for the king, John's ministry lasts about six months. He loved to hear the voice of the bridegroom. This my joy is fulfilled, that I have, been a doormat for the king. Are you willing to be a doormat for the king? Are we willing to lay down our lives for the king that people might see Christ and not see us? So I title this thought, When Jesus is About to Arrive, because right after this scene we're told in verse 23, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as it was supposed the son of Joseph. So John, as it were, is off the scene. And Jesus comes. John introduces Jesus. You remember from the other texts, like John. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the fulfillment of all those animal sacrifices. Here is the king who is God and man who's come to lay down his life for you and me to die that we might live. When Jesus comes to the soul, what takes place? There has to be a word from God. Scripture has to be preached. It's been 400 years since there's been a prophet. Malachi was 400 years ago. And you know, John is the last Old Testament prophet. But 400 years, it wasn't 400 years between the minor prophets. 400 years between Malachi now and John the Baptist. God has been silent, but yet he has been still speaking through his scriptures. But he hasn't sent a prophet since Malachi. And Malachi is the one that preached that Jesus would come suddenly to his temple as the son of righteousness, arising with healing in his wings. And John would say, the salvation of God will be seen shortly. This is a word that's come from God to John. And there's two words in the Greek that speak of the word of God. One is the whole message, logos, and the other is a, a, a dagger, a statement of Scripture. A message, a shorter message, and that's the word rhema, which is used here. A distinct message, a cogent, specific dagger has come from God for John to preach. It's the same word used of us having the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as part of our armor, part of our weaponry, Ephesians 6. It's not talking about a heavy sword that we can't wield, that we're not experienced at. It's speaking of a dagger. This is the word. It's a dagger. The word of God is the sword of the spirit, a dagger. Two words for sword. One is sword, a large sword, and Another the other is a dagger that anyone can handle. And you and I should be equipped with daggers of scripture statements. Jesus used statements against the devil. He used daggers to the heart of the devil. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was a statement of Scripture specific to the devil's temptation. And You and I need to memorize Scripture, especially daggers of Scripture that pierce the heart of the devil who tempts us to immorality or or uh, to unbelief, or to greed. When he tempts us with greed, we should take the dagger and say, man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Take heed and beware of covetousness. And so, a real believer received a real message from God to real people in the real region of the Jordan, we're told. And isn't it interesting that John likens, points back to Elijah who was in the wilderness. John was living in the wilderness. We're not told by Luke, but we're told by Matthew and Mark that he he wore a garment of camel skin and he ate locusts and wild honey. You ever eaten locusts? Wouldn't you love locusts for breakfast? I tell you, it'll crunch better than Cheerios. Sweet locusts, how'd you like to live out in the wilderness? John was a unique character. He reminds us of Elijah, and he is the Elijah. We're told Jesus said he's the Elijah come alive to preach salvation and damnation. It's our thought today. Are you saved or are you lost? Are you converted or are you condemned? Jesus is the key. Jesus is the continental divide for the soul. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, John says. Make straight a highway for our God. He's saying Christ is God. That's what Isaiah said. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's Jehovah. Make straight in the hi- a highway for our God. And who's John saying is the Lord that we're making a way for? Jesus. Jesus is God. I say to the Jehovah Witnesses, look at Isaiah forty, and look at here in Luke three. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. It says Isaiah said, "Behold, your God." And so it is that John knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He said, "I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes." That was the, the lowliest thing that even a servant was told not to do. He she was told to do all the menial tasks for his master, except he wouldn't have to unlatch his, his sandals. But John said, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. He is so great. Have you ever estimated Jesus like that? How we underestimate him, don't we? You can't overestimate Jesus, Jesus' authority and power and greatness. There will be a word from God if there's going to be the gospel. God has to give us a word, and he has given us a word. We have the Bible. We have the Old and the New Testaments, the completion of the canon. There will be, secondly, the preaching of repentance. He preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. It was well known that the Jews were circumcised, but if a Gentile became a proselyte in the Jewish community, they had to be not only circumcised but baptized. The Jews were not required to be baptized. Baptism was a picture of washing away of the filth of sin, and these Gentiles were filthy dogs, and it was the Gentiles that needed to be baptized. But John came to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles, and say, you must be baptized. You're filthy, just like the Gentiles. All of us are are lost in our sins. We're all unclean, as an unclean one. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And this baptism is, is to say, I'm a sinner, and I've come to repent of my sin." And as this is a picture of the washing away of sin, Lord, wash my real sins away. Cleanse me from my sin. So it's a repentance unto forgiveness. They were wanting to bring genuine repentance to the table. And John was saying, be careful that you bring genuine repentance to the table." Don't say, don't re-lean on your crutches like Abraham's a relative of yours, a a forebear, an ancestor of yours. What John was saying is, any crutches that you and I have that we're trusting in for our salvation need to be knocked out from underneath us. Isaiah 40 verse 2 says that God has visited Israel though their iniquity and their sins have been great. He said, that when the Messiah comes, he's coming to a people that deserve judgment, but he's coming to bring salvation. Our sins have separated us from God. How sin is downplayed today. Lawlessness is not politically correct. But Jesus and John came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John came preaching repentance. That's not politically correct, don't mention sins. you will turn people away. But it's, the, it's, it's our sins that are revealed to us that show us our need of a Savior. Jesus said it himself, no man that, that is not sick requires a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said iniquity is going to abound. Lawlessness is going to dominate the scene in the world. And it's going to be a temptation for us to be cold at heart. You and I need to plead the blood of Jesus against our sin. 1 Corinthians 6 and Revelation 21 give lists of vices and of sins that will cause people not to inherit the kingdom of God, but will have their place in the lake of fire. Liars and fornicators and adulterers and unbelievers We've got to show people they're sick. They they need a savior. They won't seek a physician if they don't feel the sinfulness of their souls. And it's appropriate for us to say to a friend, a stranger, where have you taken your sins? What do you do with your guilt? Everybody has guilt. What have you done with your guilt? People commit suicide because of their guilt. People are are unhappy because of their guilt. What a blessedness to know we have a place to take our guilt and our sin. We plummet ourselves in the pool and the, the, the place for sin and uncleanness. Jesus is the river of life. There is a fountain open for sin and uncleanness. Just like you dive into a fresh lake of water and you feel so refreshed and cleansed. So Jesus is the place to take us who are drenched in our sins and we're, we're, we're tired, we're worn and weary. But Jesus refreshes our soul by forgiving our sins. You see, sin must first be confessed and removed. The Bible says, Whoso covers his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy. John said, Look, the mountains meet, need to be laid low. We need to admit our pride. The crooked must be straight. We need to admit our deviousness. And the Lord says the valleys must be lifted up. And the people need to see that, that they can be forgiven of their sins and a highway for a God then, the valleys lifted up so Jesus can come through. We make a way for the Lord by humbling our pride and repenting of our sins. Jesus is near when people begin to repent, when the preaching of sin is brought to the fore. There's a lot of preaching about heaven, but whatever happened to the preaching about hell? And here was a man that was honest. Both of them, Jesus and John, came preaching. Flee from the wrath to come. There must be a warning about hell and false hope. If the true gospel comes, if Jesus is, when Jesus comes, there's going to be the warning, the forewarning about hell and false hopes. John came and he said, this isn't, again, politically correct. You don't learn this in seminary. To come forward and say, flee from the wrath to come. You're a, generation, an offspring of vipers. One of the Gospels tells us that it was to the Pharisees especially that he preached this message. So John wasn't afraid to preach to the religious leaders, the political leaders. He told Herod, you're wrong to take your wife. You've committed incest and adultery. And he preached to the military leaders. We're told he preached to the soldiers. I mean, this man had a hearing. He was bold. God, forgive us for our cowardice. He preached to the political leaders, the military leaders, and the religious leaders. And he told them they needed to be born again. We should pray for Christians in the White House that they'll be able to tell, to say to Mr. Biden, you must be born again. To Mrs. Harris, you must be born again. In Albany, To our governess, Kathy Hochul, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. May God give the Secret Service people who are saved boldness. Maybe maybe there are cooks in the kitchen that are saved that will see them, that they'll tell them they need to be born again. Maybe there will be maids and butlers that are saved in these high places that will be able to tell our leaders you need to be saved. In order to see the kingdom of God. And here, interestingly, what does John say? Who hath warned you? What's that saying? They're rare. They can't find anybody. It's very hard to find someone that's going to preach the truth, the whole council. We can, we can go to any church in the world and you'll find the doctrine of heaven, the preaching about heaven and the preaching about paradise. But where are you going to find the preaching about hell too? Who have forewarned you? He's saying, you're not hearing this message in your synagogues. You're not hearing this message in the temple. You're not hearing this from the doctors of the law. But I'm here to tell you, there is a place called hell. And he goes over and he says, it's fire. And when Jesus comes, he's he's going to preach that people who don't repent are going to have unquenchable fire. You know what that word unquenchable is? asbestos doesn't burn up you have the cults that will tell you if there's a hell people just get annihilated the bible says there's no annihilation people are thrown in the lake of fire it's ongoing it's forever and ever and ever Jesus said and he would say as Luke records it in chapter 12 I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him that after he kills the body, he also can cast the soul into hell. Those are Jesus' words, as Luke records them in chapter 12 and verse 5. So he describes hell several times in this passage. The wrath to come. Those are terrifying words. Literally, the coming wrath. You've never known the fierceness of God until that day. There's been some fierce evidences of God's anger in the Old Testament. A universal flood. The the ceiling of hell opened up and dropped many people alive down into the earth. God rained some of the lake of fire down from heaven upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Jesus says, or John here says, who hath forewarned you to flee from the coming wrath. It's coming, John says. It's coming. It's coming. Judgment is coming. Flee. Flee, he says. Don't walk. He's saying flee. It's so serious and so soon. you got to run. you got to run. Don't drag your feet. Time is short. It's called fire, he says. And it's called unquenchable fire. Believe, beware of back scratchers and people who don't tell you the whole truth. John says, stop using your crutches. It doesn't matter if you're a relative of Abraham. There are Jews in hell. There are Gentiles in hell. There are Presbyterians in hell. There are Baptists in hell. Don't use the crutch. I was a member of my church. I've been Baptized. I was a Sunday school teacher. I gave my tithe into the offering plate. I'm a relative of Charles Spurgeon. People even say death is their ticket. They just think death is an automatic butler into heaven. Death is not the ticket. Jesus is the bridge. One way, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't trust in your tradition, friend. Don't trust in your religion. Don't trust in your death. Trust in Christ alone. And John says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. There's your your way. And who said that? We just considered recently. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon lifted Jesus in his arms 30, 30 years ago. And said, now I see thy salvation. Now I can die. And John says, all flesh shall see this. Not just Simeon. You and I have seen the Lord. We have beheld the Lamb of God as he's revealed in God's word. But John is saying, the ax is already laid to the root of the trees. And I don't believe he's saying that the the man with the ax is starting to cut the tree down. I believe the picture here is the tree is almost ready to fall. You know how the tree when it's just about to fall, it starts to totter. it starts to, to, to shake some and it's just just a few moments and it's over. That's the point here. John is saying that the ministry of Jesus is a, is a ministry that divides. It's a ministry of salvation and damnation. He comes to save, but he also comes to judge. And he's saying the judge is coming. And you read Isaiah, it's the same way, that there's a message of salvation and a message of damnation, whether you receive him or you reject him. We're close to the cliff. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. The tree's about to fall. So run to Christ. That's what he's saying. Run for salvation. Run away from judgment. Run away from the coming wrath. You ever see pictures of people running from fires, running from lightning, running from danger? He's saying the place to run, the place of safety is in Christ. He's saying flee from the wrath to come, but he says here's where you flee to. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Isaiah said it this way, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Flee to the one who's glorious. He's Christ. Jesus is the glorious Lord. He says, behold your God. That's where you flee. Behold the Lord God will come. And John would say, and he put it all together. This is where he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Jesus was coming, poor John, to be baptized. And so as the crowd and as the soldiers and as the tax collectors were listening and believing and repenting, they wanted to know, what do we do now? Our hearts are being changed. We're believing on the one that you're, that you're preparing the way for. Now what do we do? Many of us have lived Crooked lives, dishonest lives. We've lived as thieves of, of people. What do we do? And it sounds like people will come to this passage, liberal churches will come to this passage. Here's how you get saved you start telling the truth, and you start being generous, and you start being kind. This passage is the result of their repentance, it's the result of salvation. When they ask, what shall we do? John answers with, you need fruit. Here's the fruit that will show you've been genuine in your repentance. So what John is explaining here is the fruit of repentance. Just like he said, bring forth fruit, fitting, or evidence of true repentance. And that's what they're asking. What shall we do? What's the evidence, our evidence of true repentance? And you know what John doesn't do? He doesn't tell the tax collectors to find another job. He doesn't tell the soldiers to find another job. He tells them to live where you are for the Lord. Be changed. Show the difference in your life. And so that's the section we find in John chapter 3. And I'd like us to to stop there because it's so important for us to consider the fruit of repentance and good works that manifest that we've been saved from our sins. So we find here that John brings a stern message to people, be saved or be lost. Flee to Christ, flee to salvation, to God for salvation, or you'll be overcome by the judgment of God. I trust that you and I will be like the people that were listening, like the tax collectors and the soldiers and other people in different occupations that will believe on Christ, that will look to Christ for salvation and will ask, now how can I manifest my new life in Christ where I am? Do I need to change my occupation? How do I manifest Christ where I am? And that's a a message we all need to hear always, how do I live for the Lord where I am right now? That's what John's saying. You can live for Christ right where you are. You don't need to find another occupation. You don't need to look for something what you might think is a, a greater calling. Right where you are. If you're a, if in, for, Forgive me, if you're a chimney sweeper, but right where you are, a chimney sweeper, sweep the chimney with the best of your ability. Make that chimney clear and clean so the house doesn't catch fire. Do it for the glory of God. Don't overcharge people. Be a good witness, a good worker. That's what he's saying. Be a good worker where you are. That's how you manifest true repentance. Amen. Oh Father, I thank thee that your word is so practical. Meet us where we are. Lord, I thank you that you save sinners and you make us Christ like, and that our, our whole life is changed and our occupation is, is sanctified. And Lord, we thank you that you show us our sins of greed and ingratitude and unkindness. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins and give us victory in Christ. You said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Oh, Lord, this message of John is offensive to the flesh. We pray, Lord, that we would take it to heart. We pray that we would be honest with people, be kind but honest and forthright. They must be born again. They need to flee from the wrath to come. They need to see that they're sinners, that we're sinners who are saved by grace. Oh God, please use us. So often we're so benign, so powerless, because we're afraid to face people with their sin. Lord, you know you've told us to first take the beam from our eyes before we seek to help people take the splinter from theirs. Lord, may we we bring people this message that we're sinners saved by grace and we're trying to point them who are sinners to the, the Christ who is gracious to save. Lord, hear our prayers. Revive us, Lord. This whole, this world around us needs an honest, straightforward message from thy word, gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation of the Savior.